Hope you don't mind. But it's been a hectic morning, and I didn't have time to eat my breakfast, so I got these bacon and eggs, and it's delicious. Sadly, I don't have enough to share, but let me ask you a question. When it comes to a bacon and egg breakfast, what do the chicken and the pig have in common? This is familiar to a lot of you guys. What, what do the, um, what, or really, not what, what do they have in common, but what do they really have um, not in common? What is the difference between the chicken and the pig? Who knows? Anybody? Go ahead. Yeah, one had to die, one didn't. Another way to say it? All gave some, some gave all. That's a good one. Yeah, I like both of those. Here, here's the thought um, before I spit on everybody. Sorry. If you look at the chicken, the chicken contributed to the meal, but the pig was committed to the meal. So one contributed to it, and one was committed to it, right? And that's what I want us to think about, and we're going to talk about this this morning, the difference between contributing and being committed, all right? So um, we've been going through really what our mission and our methods are here at Orchard Hills. We've talked about our mission, which is people investing in people for eternity, and our method for accomplishing that mission is come, grow, and go. Come, grow, and go. And so what that means is... um, we want people to come to have an encounter with Jesus, to experience Jesus. We want them to grow in this relationship with Jesus. Then ultimately, we want them to go and, and share that with other people so that they too might be able to come and to grow and to go. Now, all of that points to our ultimate goal, the why behind what we do, and that's to become disciples. We want all of us to become disciples or followers of Jesus who also go out and make other disciples or followers of Jesus. That's the ultimate goal. So this morning, what we want to do is we want to go back in time, back to when Jesus was walking on the face of the earth, and look at some of his followers, and look at the difference between some of his followers. Some were were contributing, but others were committed. Some were more like the chicken, and others were more like the pig. So to do that, we're going to be in Matthew. We're going to follow a little bit of Matthew's account of Jesus' life. So it's Matthew chapter 4. If you want to follow along, if you get your church Bible out, it's page 957. And you can follow along. I encourage you to do that. So let me set the stage. At at this point, Jesus is 30 years old, and he um, has just been baptized by John the Baptist and immediately goes out into the wilderness to fast and to pray for 40 days. 40 days. Now, at the end of that 40 days, when he's at his kind of weakest moment, Satan appears. And he begins to tempt Jesus. And he tries to get Jesus to bow down and to worship him. Well, fortunately, Jesus doesn't do it. Then after that, Jesus, Jesus begins his public ministry, and he begins with um, really an incredible statement. This is really his purpose statement, if you will. So this is Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Listen to this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, what he's saying is, is turn from your current ways, your worldly ways, And turn to me. 
follow me. The kingdom of God has come near. I, God in the flesh, have come near. Follow me. That was the message. Now, the next thing he does is he begins to assemble his team. So if you look at verse 18 and follow along with me there, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his, his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately... They left the boat and their father and followed him. Now notice, Jesus is is inviting these four men to come, to follow him, to enter into a committed relationship with him. And what he's requiring of them is is more like the pig instead of the chicken. What what he's requiring of them is, is to sacrifice. They need to be willing to sacrifice and need to be willing to be sent by him. That's what he's looking for in his followers. That's what he was looking for then. That's what he's looking for now. Now, you, you'll notice that the men were fishermen, right? And they're engaged in their, their um, occupations at the moment. And when Jesus calls them, notice their response. If you look at Peter and Andrew, it says, at once, at once, they dropped everything and they followed Jesus. What about the response of James and John? It says, immediately, immediately, they followed suit. They left everything, and they followed Jesus. They left their occupation, their careers. They even left their families, and they followed Jesus. Again, incredible commitment, a commitment of sacrifice and service, a willingness to go wherever Jesus would send them. And... um, I think this is the level of commitment that Jesus is looking for from us as well. If we are truly going to be committed followers or disciples of his, he's looking for that kind of commitment, that kind of sacrifice, that willingness to say yes immediately when he calls, to go wherever he may send us. Now, I think that's why so few people are truly committed followers of Jesus Christ. Even people sitting in churches, I think that's why so few are committed followers of Jesus, because he requires sacrifice. He expects obedience to go where he sends us. And the thought about him, uh, us putting him above everything else, just like we were singing these songs, the thought of putting Jesus ahead of our careers, or, or the thought of putting Jesus ahead of our families, even the thought of putting Jesus ahead of our hobbies is unthinkable to most of us. We, we don't even want to entertain that. And, and we have a great way, especially in the church, of rationalizing that, of, of justifying that. And we're like, well, I mean, clearly God wants me to good, be a good provider for my family, Right? So certainly it's all right if I put my career above him. I mean, he, he's, 
He's understanding, isn't he? he? He's full of grace, right? We talk about his grace all the time. He'll understand if I put my career ahead of him or, or my family. I mean, the, what a gift, you know, my family is. And, and certainly I need to make them a priority. So God will certainly understand if I put them above him. Or, or how about our hobbies? You know, our sports, our dance, or whatever it may be, our love for recreation. Certainly, he, he wants me to be happy, right? He, he wants me to enjoy this life that he's given me. He'll understand if I put those things above him, right? And I think Jesus does understand, and I think he is full of grace, but I think he understands that when we put these other things, our careers, even our families and our hobbies above him, he understands that that is not going to turn out very well for us. It's not in our best interest. It will not go well. And he doesn't want that. He wants our best for us. That's why he calls us to put him first above all things. Listen. Um, to this, in Matthew, later on in, in chapter 7, he records Jesus saying this. This is verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Only a few find it. Again, I think many people, if not most people, are, are more like the chicken instead of the pig. And somehow we've, we've bought into this belief that, um, you know, if, if we just choose the, the easier way, the, the broad way, the wide gate, then that's going to get us to the same place as this narrow way, this small gate. We believe that, that Jesus wants us to have life and life to the full right now and, and even for all of eternity. But I think we've been tricked. We've been deceived because when we, we choose that way, um, it ultimately doesn't lead to life. It leads to destruction. And that is not at all what Jesus wanted for us. Um, the truly committed recognize that you know, I have to, to sacrifice to follow Jesus. It's going to require something of me, and it's not necessarily going to be convenient. Typically, following Jesus is not convenient, but we're called to go through the narrow gate, the narrow gate, the small gate, the narrow way. And the beautiful thing is that if you're willing to do that and sacrifice some of these things, it's like the world opens up. When you cross through, and all of a sudden, you start to experience this abundant life that Jesus promises. He, he says, look, I, I came to give you life and life to the full. I, I want you to have a life that's full of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and kindness and self-control. Like, that's the world I want to open up to you. That's the kind of world I want you to live into now and forever. But the only way you experience that, it's through the small gate, the narrow way. Not, 
the wide gate, the broad way. See, that's going to just lead you to destruction. Now, um, this may seem like a, a great sacrifice, and, and I think it is from a worldly perspective. From a worldly perspective, it sounds like Jesus requires so much of us. But, but notice why this is important. Um, again, Matthew, he's following the life of Jesus. When we get to chapter 10, he records this, um, beginning in verse 37. Jesus said this. This is a tough thing to hear, but we need to hear it. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Parents, listen to this one. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Again, a lot of this doesn't make sense to us, especially from a worldly perspective. But it's true. And I've experienced it in my own life. As I look back over my life, um, every time I thought I was sacrificing something for God, I came to find out that I gained so much more. And then I was actually embarrassed to think that I sacrificed anything in the first place. Like, I remember I was 22 when I made this commitment to follow Jesus, and immediately I, I got involved in the ministry of young life and became a leader at Patrick Henry High School. And so I'm a young 20-something professional, and now all, time, all of a sudden I'm spending 10 to 20 hours a week hanging out with high school kids, investing my life in them. I had two weeks of vacation a year, and I used one of those weeks to go to camp with them over the summer. And people, coworkers especially, would look at me going, what is wrong with you? Like, like why are you sacrificing like that? And at first I thought it was a sacrifice, but then I look back and I'm like, no, but I gained so much more. It, it, there was really no sacrifice at all. And then I look at when Carolyn and I got married, and, and we decided, okay, we want to put God first in our finances, this is going to be a change, and it's going to require us to change our lifestyle, change some of our spending habits, because we want to take the first 10% of everything that God gave us, all of our income, any, any increases, and give it back to God through his church. It's called a tithe. And so we wanted to put him first in our finances. And it appeared to be such a great sacrifice. It was a lot of money even back then. And I look back, and you know what? It really wasn't any sacrifice at all. I have never been wanting. We have never been wanting. We have always had not just enough. We've had more than enough. Another example. Um, got a call to go to work for the church, to, to leave my career, to move from Pittsburgh back to Roanoke. And it seemed like such a sacrifice. You know, I, I, I was in a great place um, from a, a business standpoint, I, I was making a lot of money at, at the time. And a lot of people looked at that and said, are you crazy? Why would you sacrifice that to go to work for the church? But you know what? I've experienced a greater sense of purpose and, and more joy because I made that change than I ever experienced in the working world. And what I thought and others thought was a sacrifice really was no sacrifice at all. And then another example, when we were called to uh, 
to move from Southwest County to leave our church and many of our friends and move out to Badatat to start Orchard Hills. It seemed like a tremendous sacrifice. But it was no sacrifice at all. Because look what we gained. Like, look at all of you. I've gained all of you. Here, here's the thing. What, what is it that we lose? What are we missing out on when we're clinging to the things of this world instead of just surrendering to God? Think about what we're losing, what we're missing out on when we cling to the things of this world more than we cling to God. See, it may appear that the committed followers of Jesus are sacrificing a great deal for him. But you know who's making the ultimate sacrifice? The members of the crowd. The ones who choose to just contribute, perhaps, but not fully commit. Because those of us who fully commit, guess what we gain? We gain this relationship with Jesus. We gain this relationship with others. Right here, right now, we experience this abundant life that he has for us. And we experience an eternal life with Jesus and with others. But those who fail to commit, they miss out on those priceless gifts. See, sometimes we've got it wrong. We, we think that the commitment that Jesus requires is, is, is so great. Now, what's great is the sacrifice that people make by not committing. Now, I, I want us to think about the crowd for a minute and the difference between them and the committed disciples of Jesus. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 4. Look at verses 23 through 25 with me. So Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan followed him. Notice, there were great benefits to the crowd. So the crowds gathering together, and they're experiencing healing by the hand of Jesus. They're, they're even being delivered from demons. This demon possession and oppression, they're set free from that by the hand of Jesus. They are benefiting from coming and following Jesus. They're also contributing to the ministry of Jesus. So they're, they're going back. They're spreading the word. The word is spreading like wildfire. That's why so many people are coming to Jesus. But here's what you got to know. If you keep reading through Matthew's account of Jesus' life or Mark, Luke, or John's account of Jesus' life, you know what you're going to find out about the crowds? They're fickle. Crowds are fickle. And, and when Jesus failed to meet their expectations, when he stopped performing the way that they wanted him to perform, when he began to call them to a higher level of commitment, one of sacrifice, one of a willingness to being sent, guess what they did? They turned and went back, went back to their old way of life. Even some of his disciples Beyond the 12, that's exactly what they did. Um, 
John records one of these encounters in John chapter 6, um, just to set the tone. So Jesus had just fed 5,000 men, plus countless women and children. I don't know how many people, but he, he did that with just a couple small fish and a few small loaves of bread. And, and the people, man, they were loving this. And then they wanted more. The crowds wanted more. And then Jesus began to speak to them. And he said, you know what? You just want more of me because of the little miracle I performed. You want me to give you more bread, more fish. He's like, no, I've got something greater for you than that. Like, I, I want to give you myself. Like, I don't want to just feed you physically. I want to feed you spiritually. Not just for a moment, but forever. And I am inviting you in to commit to me, to follow me. It was too great. Too great a call, too great a commitment, too great a sacrifice for these people. Notice what happens. This is John chapter 6, um, verses 66 through 69. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back. They turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter asked, answered him. Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Thousands, thousands, thousands of people had experienced this miracle. And yet when Jesus called them to a greater commitment, to some higher level of sacrifice, what did they do? They turned their back and they left them. And they went back to their old way of life. Even some of his disciples, his followers said, you know what, what you're asking, it's too hard. And we're going. We're going to leave. And then Jesus turns to the 12 and he's like, well, what about you guys? Like they're the, imagine you got thousands of people around and then all of a sudden you're down to 12. And, and you look at him, you're like, so what about you guys? You're going to leave too? And, and I love Peter. He's like one of my favorite guys in all the Bible. You know, I just love to hang out with him for a little while. And he's like, Jesus, where are we going to go? I mean, who are we going to go to? You have the words of eternal life. The words that come forth from your mouth, they are the source of life, of abundant life now, eternal life later. We, we've come to believe, we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God, that you are God in the flesh. Who else would we go to? Who else would we follow? You see, I think this is the critical piece. Unless we know Jesus, like Peter and the rest of the 12 knew Jesus, we'll have a difficult time committing to him. And sacrificing for him and being willing to be sent by him, unless we know him like Peter and the others truly knew him. See, if you don't know Jesus to be who he said he was, to be God in the flesh, the one who has the answers to true and everlasting life, unless you know him to be a man of his word, to, to be someone who is actually going to be with us now and forever, unless you know that to be true of Jesus, then why would you commit 
right? Why would you be a committed follower of Jesus if you don't know him like that? There's, there's too much to risk. There's too much to sacrifice. It wouldn't make any sense. That's why I believe so few people are committed followers of Jesus Christ because they don't know him like Peter and the others knew him. I think that's true today. Most of us don't know Jesus like that. And so if that's the case, maybe we're willing to contribute to the ministry of Jesus because we still get something out of it, but maybe we're not willing to commit to it. See, if you don't know Jesus like Peter and the others knew him, when Jesus says, come, then, then you'll be hesitant to come when he calls you. You'll be resistant to grow as he instructs you. And, and you will fail to go where he sends you. That's the truth. That's the truth. Unless you know Jesus like Peter and the others knew him. You won't come immediately. You, you won't grow as he instructs. And you won't go where he sends you. And who can blame you? Who can blame you? You may contribute like the chicken, but you won't be committed like the pig. Now, when we were talking about putting this message together this week, Lisa Miles had, had a great little insight, and she shared this. She's been in the church forever, so she, she has these little, little things that a lot of us don't. But uh, she said, you know, there's different people in the world. There are people who are reservoirs, and there are people who are rivers. And I had never heard that. Anybody ever heard that? before? Yeah, you're not good church people either. The, uh, like, <clears throat> you know, like, here's the thing. So she's a good church person. Like, she's grown up with that stuff. And I was like, wow, that is a great, great analogy. And she said, yeah, you know, some are reservoirs. They're like the crowd, right? And they come, and, and they come to get what they can from Jesus, but then they just hold on to it for themselves. But other people are like rivers. They receive from Jesus, and then they share it with others. And they, they come to Jesus, they grow in Jesus, and then they go with Jesus. And it's like this river just continuing to flow in and through them. Isn't that beautiful? And um, Kevin, you know, being the wise man he, he is, he had something to share. And he's like, you know what the, the problem with, with reservoirs are? They're all dammed up. <laughs> I was like, I like that, Kevin. You know, I like that. You know, so think about that. That's, that's the problem with reservoirs. They tend to just be all dammed up. They're just holding it all in. So what kind of person are you? When you think about that, are you a reservoir or are you a river? Do you come to get what you can from Jesus and hold on to it? Or are you a river and you come to Jesus and you allow him to give and then for whatever he's given you to flow through you to others? Are you a reservoir or are you a river? When we look at the bacon and egg breakfast, are you more like the chicken who, who maybe contributes to the meal, maybe contributes to the church, or are you more like the pig who is committed to the meal, committed to Jesus' church? Are you resonating more with the crowd or more with the committed disciples or followers of Jesus? Are you willing to come? 
to drop everything and to come when Jesus calls? Are, are you willing to grow as he instructs? Are you willing to go wherever he sends you? Or are you going to cling to the things of this world, like your career, or, or, or your family, or your hobbies? See, how you answer those questions, how you respond to those questions has everything to do with how you see Jesus. And, and if you see him like Peter and the others saw him, then you'll have the courage to lay everything else down, to commit to him and to follow him wherever he may lead. But the question is, how do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? Let's pray. Dear God, it, it's hard to read some of these, these words from Jesus and, and what he's calling us to, and it seems like such a great sacrifice. But when we really look deeper, it's really no sacrifice at all. Lord, you have so much for us. You, you want us to experience a full, abundant life now and eternal life later with, with you and with others. And I can't think of anything more valuable than that. Everything else will pass away. Our, our careers will pass away. Our, our loved ones will pass away. Our hobbies, we'll get too old to even enjoy them probably. They'll pass away. But our relationship with you, our, other, our relationship with others who are in relationship with you, that lasts forever. That is priceless. And it's no sacrifice at all to enter through that small gate, that narrow way, when we have all that on the other side waiting for us, both here and now. So Lord, help us to figure out how do we see you? What do we believe about you? Speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.